You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with new developments in that dramatic car crash into the Alder Grove Community Police Station. It's believed the ordeal actually began kilometers away in Abbotsford. Aaron MacArthur has more on what we're learning about the man who's now charged. Final moments of a bizarre car collision caught on camera. A woman being dragged as she's hanging on to the open driver's side door. A man is behind the wheel trying to control the badly damaged vehicle. She was strapped in to the driver's seat with the uh, seatbelt. I shut the car off and then my, my girlfriend Heather sort of attended to her and I went to see if I could see where the guy went. Now, Kultar Singh Gill is facing one charge of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily harm. Court records indicate the man is being held in custody until his bail hearing. This home on Bergman Road in Abbotsford is listed as being owned by a Coulter Singill and his wife. Neighbors confirm RCMP investigators were at this home Monday. The man also positively identified as the same man from his photo as a mixed martial arts fighter. Gill listed as the head coach of the Mamba MMA gym in Abbotsford. A sign on the front door says that classes have been cancelled until further notice. Police spent much of Monday investigating the collision, which shut down a large portion of the Fraser Highway through Aldergrove. Security camera video from the neighborhood near where Gill lives shows another collision between what is believed to be his car and a parked vehicle. You can see the damage here where the car jumped the curb Sunday night on Lafave Road, narrowly missing this lampstander and then slamming into the car that was parked here. The vehicle then traveled almost four kilometers further into Aldergrove before it crashed into the Aldergrove Community Police Station. But it was very disturbing to watch it and to see it. And the fact that there's a video out there makes me sad, like this poor person in the car. Kaltar Singh Gill will appear in Surrey Provincial Court November 2nd. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. We're learning more tonight about a shooting outside a Vancouver strip club over the weekend. Vancouver police say shots were fired at two men who were standing outside the gallery nightclub under the Arthur Lang Bridge on Southwest Marine Drive early Sunday. A 44-year-old was hit in the arm. The other man wasn't hurt. Investigators are looking into whether the shooting is connected to a burned vehicle that was found a short time later near Connaught Drive and East 36th Avenue. Extremely concerning this level of violence to occur uh, at a place where people should be safe. In this case, uh, a busy nightclub on a Halloween Saturday night. This appears to have all the hallmarks of a, of a targeted shooting. Uh, we're investigating whether or not it is linked to gang violence or organized crime. Gallery Vancouver has been the scene of a number of violent incidents. In May of 2022, a young man was fatally stabbed outside the club. A warning tonight for trick-or-treaters in Whistler. Conservation confirms the grizzly bear that was trapped and relocated last week is back. Angela Jung is live with more on the bear's return and a huge neighborhood party that's underway in the very same area where that bear was spotted. Angela. Sophie, ghosts and goblins are roaming the street right now and a grizzly bear may be lurking nearby. This is the same cul-de-sac neighborhood where a grizzly bear was seen earlier today. And as you can see there, it's not stopping these trick-or-treaters right now. 
Here is video from last week showing the grizzly bear. It was trapped and relocated last Friday, but conservation officers admit relocation isn't always successful. Here is the same grizzly spotted just this afternoon and steps away from where this picture was taken. Trick-or-treaters are now out in droves. For the past 40 years, people have been coming to the Tapley's neighborhood. Last Halloween, officials estimate there were upwards of 500 people here. Now, despite the grizzly sighting, conservation officers have given organizers the green light. I trust the conservation officers and I'm not too concerned. Um, I'm pretty sure he's radio tagged anyway, so they can track his uh, location. I'm not super worried about something actually happening, but there is, I guess, a sm small potential for it. So I just don't see the point in letting it hang out here. I think it should be moved along. We live with bears and that we need to be careful every day. And uh, that's why the CO will be out there helping us do that. Conservation officers did not make themselves available for an interview. In an email statement, they say, while the area is not being recommended to be closed at this time, conservation officers will be present during the event to provide increased monitoring, public awareness, and education. Conservation officers also say that this grizzly bear was seen grazing on natural food sources and doesn't appear to show any aggressive behavior. And many people we spoke with say that with all these people here and the fireworks show later on tonight, they believe that that'll be enough to scare the grizzly bear away. Sophie? Let's hope. All right, thanks for that. Angela Jung reporting live in Whistler. Breaking news for you now. The Langara College instructor who praised the October 7th attacks by Hamas as an amazing and brilliant offensive is now on leave. Natalie Knight made those comments at a weekend rally in downtown Vancouver. Yesterday, the college told Global News it was investigating the matter, but late today confirmed Knight is on leave and that her views do not represent those of the college. Knight is faculty in Langara's English department. In 2020, she was a central figure at rail blockades and occupations as part of the so-called Shutdown Canada movement. She is American, but came to Canada for school about a decade ago. The debate over whether to transform part of Vancouver's public golf courses into housing appears to have been put to bed, at least for now. The Park Board has voted to improve golf courses and not redevelop them. Alyssa Thibault reports. Langara Golf Course is prime real estate and it's not going up for sale. The Park Board voted to invest in golf. We have all commissioners in favour, uh, so the motion is carried unanimously. That vote happened last night. The Park Board unanimously deciding to invest in improvements in the city's golf and pitch and putt courses, not redevelop the land. We're looking to improve the golf assets for the golf users, uh, and we would require board direction to pursue anything alternate to that. Yeah, wonderful. Let's keep green spaces green. The vote comes after calls from academics to turn parts of the Langara course into affordable housing, estimating the land could be worth billions of dollars. Leverage the value of that land to create one-third, one-third, one-third housing, one-third market rate, one-third middle class, basically co-op housing, and one-third social housing. In this era of climate change and a growing population, thinking different and bold actions are required. The Park Board Vice Chair doesn't agree. They don't know what they're talking about. 
Uh, the reality is, like, it's a green space. There's no infrastructure. Bastiovansky says Vancouver's six courses brought in more than $6 million in revenue last year, money that will be used across other parks and gardens and to upgrade Langara itself. They want to upgrade the clubhouse so it can be more like a local sports bar, expand the patio, uh, add more TVs, improve the, uh, improve the uh, food and beverage options and even increase capacity to be able to host things like weddings and stuff like that. In the midst of a housing crisis, the province says Vancouver should be looking at spaces to build more homes, but the decision has to come from the city. We'd be open to a conversation if the, this is something Vancouver wants to pursue. With a majority on council and park board, it's unlikely development will happen anytime soon. ABC has a very strong stance, so Mayor and Council and Park Board are all aligned. Green space stays green space. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. The federal government's controversial freeze of the carbon tax on home heating oil, mainly benefiting the East Coast, is becoming an issue here on the West Coast. The Premier says British Columbians deserve a break on heating bills too, while the leader of the opposition is promising to do away with carbon taxing on all home heating. Richard Zussman has more. Debate over the carbon tax heating up. Government today has lost the plot. BC United rolling out a plan to gut both the provincial carbon tax and provincial fuel tax, promising, if elected, to permanently eliminate the provincial tax on fuel, saving up to 15 cents per litre, cancelling any future carbon tax hikes, and removing the tax from all home heating, including oil and natural gas, and on the agriculture sector. I will focus like a laser on reducing the cost of living. And if Pierre Polyev is elected federally and scraps the federal carbon tax, BC United would get rid of it here as well. If the decision is made to eliminate, eliminate the carbon tax, I'm not going to leave BC in a disadvantaged position, being the only province that is going to have a $95 a ton carbon tax. We will get rid of the carbon tax in BC too. Falcon's plan would cost about $5 billion in lost tax revenue, money the Premier says would have to come from somewhere. What uh, schools, teachers, hospitals, healthcare workers, uh, are they going to get rid of to pay for this commitment to British Columbians? Uh, they are well aware uh, that there's not $5 billion lying around the couch. Instead, David Eby setting up a showdown with Ottawa. This after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau committed to removing the carbon tax on home heating in Atlantic Canada but not here in B.C. There will be no more carbon coming. And while this will be frustrating for the B.C. government, it's not the only ask for help, demanding more financial assistance in getting people off fossil fuels and installing heat pumps. We need the federal government together with us to be delivering those rebates, helping British Columbians with those costs. This is the NDP and B.C. United seem happy matching blows on how to deal with carbon pricing. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on how the opposition has changed its, its position, Keith, on this tax. It, it first introduced when it was in government 15 years ago and the reasons yeah. behind the change of heart. Yeah, a lot of changing going on. It doesn't just involve the BC United Party. But again, the question to Kevin Falcon today was, is this a flip-flop? Given you were part of a government, as you say, Sophie, introduced this tax back in 2008 and now wants to scrap it in many cases. And in some cases, if Pierre Poliev, as Richard just reported, becomes government, scrap it entirely. That flip-flop uh, phrase was put to Kevin Falcon, and he acted, uh, reacted, I think, a little frustrated and angry. He says, times are different now. What we're facing today is nowhere near what we were facing back in 2008 when the tax was first introduced. 
The flip-flopping argument's ridiculous. We are in a totally different situation than we were 15 years ago when we introduced a $10 a ton revenue-neutral carbon tax. Uh, a carbon tax, which, by the way, as I mentioned, that I froze at $30 a ton in 2012. We did that for a reason, and that continued through successive finance ministers. The problem is that when the NDP got elected, they more than doubled that carbon tax, and they plan to double it again uh, over the next seven years. So it is a change in position from 15 years ago, but guess what? The NDP has changed its position as well. When the carbon tax was first introduced, it opposed the carbon tax. In fact, ran against it unsuccessfully in the 2009 election campaign. Since then, they now embrace the carbon tax. So both parties have changed positions here. We're about a year out from the next election, so there's time for both parties to change positions yet again. But the carbon tax looks like it's going to be a campaign issue, potentially, the likes of which we haven't seen for quite some time since 2009. Sorry to keep track of it all, but... Luckily, we have you, Keith. Thank you. All right. As cold weather begins, an incident over the weekend is highlighting the critical need for shelter options for the homeless. A man and his dog were injured after a recycling truck emptied the bin they were sheltering in. As Kylie Stanton reports, lack of shelter space can have dangerous consequences. The windows are covered up, the space clearly vacant and not in use. But it hasn't been put forward as a potential extreme weather shelter space. And so the search continues. We've been looking for months, actually since the spring, but the crunch is here. We could put another 70 to 100 people inside overnight if, if we had the space for that. With temperatures dropping and nowhere to go, the homeless here in Courtney are sheltering from the elements wherever they can including dumpsters like this one. On Saturday, a 53-year-old man was injured when a recycling truck picked up and emptied a bin like this one. The man and his dog were inside. RCMP say he was taken to hospital with minor injuries while his dog was treated at the BC SPCA. It is not unusual at all for, for people to be sleeping or, or falling asleep or just tucking away in those dumpsters. The outcomes can be dangerous and sometimes deadly. Back in 2018, a man was killed in Victoria after the dumpster he was in was emptied into the back of a garbage truck. That same year, donation bins like this one were temporarily banned in Vancouver after a homeless woman died inside. All of it highlighting the need for all levels of government to take action. Everyone understands that we're in a housing crisis. Everyone knows that we need more housing, but yet we still struggle with local governments at landing on a location to get shelter spaces open. In a perfect world, we'd have this all organized and really ready to go for November 1st, uh, but uh, that's tomorrow and we're, we're still really working hard to, to make sure that we get a location as, as quick as possible. Advocates say this close call is a wake-up call and the clock is ticking. It's a really sad situation and it's only going to get worse. I promise you it is only going to get worse if we don't have any place for them to go. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Parking problems driving some Surrey residents out. Frustrated enough where I have to sell my house. Commercial trucks crowd many residential streets because there's nowhere else for them to go. How it's become more than just a nuisance for the people who live there. And the city's response next on the News Hour. Would the real Richard Zussman please stand up? Separated at birth at the B.C. Legislature this Halloween. That's coming up later. Plus, an all-electric air taxi. How Helijet plans on incorporating that into its fleet. 
Right now, though, they have been a cause of complaints in several Surrey neighborhoods for years. Commercial trucks using residential streets for parking, leading to noise, emissions and road damage. Now the city is starting the process to build a truck parking facility. But as Janet Brown reports, for some residents, that work is coming too late. This is constant all day long. Joe LeMessure is fed up with the trucks in his Bridgeview neighborhood. Every day, frustrated enough where I have to sell my house. He says the neighborhood is turning into a parking lot for commercial trucks. When they come down here and they hit a, a bump in the road, you feel it. You feel it and your house feels it. My ceiling's been cracked all the way through here, all down through there, and it comes all the way across. LeMessure's house has spot. damage all throughout that he says has been caused by heavy trucks. Look at this crack. Running up and down 124th Street, and now he's decided to move. I hate to leave here. I've been here 35 years. I love this neighborhood. I like the people. Everything is great. It feels like a, a small tremor. A uh, small earthquake. And here's another vehicle that comes up. Other neighbors are also moving out. Because we just have had enough, period. We've just had enough. Surrey Council says it is taking action to deal with the lack of truck parking. There are roughly five to 6,000 truckers who operate out of the city, and there is a gap of about 2,000 truck parking spots. I've spoken with truckers who say that we park on the side of highways. We park in our driveways. We park in illegal lots. We park on farmland. And unfortunately, they have nowhere else to go. The city says there are a number of illegal truck parks in Surrey that have created issues like noise complaints, safety concerns, and damage to roads. The illegal parking situation is out of sheer necessity. They're forced to park where they're not supposed to. And, and that's a problem that we're trying to alleviate. This is what it does to the roads. Look at the way it's hollow down there in the center. The move by the city to find parking for trucks hasn't come soon enough for Joe LeMessure and some of his neighbors. So many people have packed up and moved because of it. The city should have been doing this years ago. All day. LeMessure wonders how long it'll take to sell his house and if the truck traffic will drive down the price. Backing right into traffic. Janet Brown. Global News. Well, from commercial trucks on residential streets to pirate ships in front yards, it is Halloween after all. And there's an epic display that's been a neighborhood favorite for years. Our meteorologist Yvonne Shell is in East Vancouver with more on the Inferno. Yvonne? <laughs> so, yeah, this is the haunted pirate ship, and I found the captain of the ship. This is Paul Etheridge, a great yearly tradition. Tell us a little bit about this outdoor attraction that's drawing all the neighbors in this year. It's uh, something we've done for the last 12 years, um, and it's to raise money for the food bank. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big uh, charity, we, uh, charity we love to donate to. Um, so it's our big push at this time of year to raise as much funds as, as we can. And it, it hasn't been needed more than this year. Yes. And how long have you been doing this for and what sort of uh, spurred the, the, the interest in making this a big so, attraction? This is our 12th year and, and it was uh, my kids' love of the movie Goonies when they were younger. So uh, this is a pirate ship Inferno and we've got one-eyed Willie driving the ship at the top of the stairs. So the kids come up and see Willie and, and trick-or-treat and it's great. All right, money's going towards the food bank. You've set a goal. How much have you raised and how much are you hoping to raise? We're at, uh, our goal was 5,000. We're at 59 last time I checked. And uh, we'd love to hit 10,000, but uh, we'll see what happens tonight. Excellent. We've got a link that's listed there below. Thank you so much, Paul, for doing so this. We've got a ton of people in the neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you for always doing this on. So thank you and good luck with all the trick-or-treaters. So Thank you so much, Paul. So they'll have anywhere between 800 to 1,000 children here this evening. We've got the link and details on how you can donate. 
donate. And we've got rain on the way for tomorrow. I'll have that forecast coming up very shortly. Back to you. Glad the rain held off for tonight. Yvonne, thank you. Helijet has become the first Canadian airline to place an order on one of aviation's newest designs, an all-electric air taxi. The Alia 250 air taxi is designed to take off and land vertically, just like a helicopter, but fly like a plane. While the craft does have a shorter range and slower cruising speed than Helijet's current fleet, it's expected to be about 90% quieter than a traditional helicopter. Helijet is planning to use the air taxis for its passenger service in southwest BC and potentially expand that service to the suburbs of Vancouver and Victoria. At a lower cost, at a lower noise profile, okay, and zero carbon footprints, we can move now potentially from suburbias on Vancouver, such as Langley, Pitt Meadows, Abbotsford, and people can travel to and from the heliport in Vancouver. Helijet is spearheading plans to build a commercial vertiport on the waterfront in downtown Vancouver as a base of operations for the air taxi. The Alia 250 is on track for commercial certification in 2026. Coming up, a prolific thief gets another chance. People are really supportive, right? I want to take advantage of all this. Why he won't be going to jail and the warning from the judge. Also ahead, why BC's police watchdog wants to do away with drunk tanks. Good evening. Seeing some pretty significant delays here westbound on Highway 1 to the Cassiar Tunnel. There is apparently a crash inside it. Of course, I can't see in there, but definitely there is a huge delay leaving Vancouver, trying to head towards North Vancouver right now. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $55 million, plus an estimated four Max Millions Lotto Max Dream to the Max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One above Highway 1 in the Cassiar Tunnel. More than three years after the death of a child in Lumbee, two people have been charged with failing to provide the necessaries of life. In April of 2020, police rushed to help paramedics at an address in the Lumbee area. A child was flown by BC Air Ambulance to Kelowna that evening and died overnight. RCMP's major crime unit and the BC Coroner Service spent an extensive amount of time investigating the tragedy. 29-year-old Keisha Marie McRae and 23-year-old Brian William Chisiak have now been charged in the child's death. Both accused are scheduled to appear in Vernon Provincial Court January 4th. The child's name has not been released. A Vancouver prolific offender is assuring a judge he is ready to turn his life around. 51-year-old Francis Boivin has more than 130 convictions, but has avoided jail time for his latest offenses. Our Grace Key caught up with him after today's sentencing. People are really supportive, right? I want to take advantage of all this, right? right? I'm 51 years old. It's time for me to have something different in my life, right? So, I mean, I didn't mean to come down in your town and stealing and uh, walking around causing trouble. That, that's not my intention. Chronic offender Francis Joseph Boivin walked out of community court in Vancouver after entering guilty pleas to four theft charges, saying he's turning his life around. I set up some goals and I plan to reach it. I might go back to school find a job, 
Something was going to push me forward, right? Boivin was on probation for these brazen art thefts on South Granville when he committed his latest crimes, ranging from stealing a bottle of alcohol to a power tool at Home Depot and a shirt and hoodie worth more than $3,000 at Holt Renfrew. Crown says Boivin has 131 convictions across Quebec and B.C. Court heard how he has no hint of violence. His crimes described as unsophisticated garden variety shoplifting, all to support a drug habit. In court, the judge saying, I don't see these as small little things, maybe if they were your first offenses. I told you I took a chance on you. I could have given you a year for those offenses. Boivin, I turned my life around. Judge, but you haven't turned it around. The judge offered a one-year probation with Boivin saying, that will keep me in line. The judge saying, I'm very serious. I'm going to hammer you if you breach. If you succeed, I'll be so proud of you. In the end, the judge handed Boivin a suspended sentence with one year probation. Boivin's case management team says he is compliant with his mental health treatment plan, and Boivin says he has been on a safe supply program for at least a month. Do you think that'll make a difference? Uh, I don't know. I just, I just get on a program now, right? I think, I think I'm going to take advantage of this as well, right? But I, don't, I cannot tell because I've just been on a program now but I think it can help. Boivin is described as very nice and engaging with his programs. The court said it would celebrate if he succeeds. Grace Key, Global News. BC's police watchdog is warning that placing drunk people in jail is an outdated practice and doesn't guarantee their safety. That comes after a man in Williams Lake had a life-threatening health crisis in RCMP cells last year. Travis Prasad now with the alternatives. Become intoxicated to the point of being a safety risk and you could end up in a jail cell known as the drunk tank until you're sober. Jail's not a, a health facility. It's, it's a place to incarcerate people, whether it's sobering somebody up. The Independent Investigations Office agrees. IIO Chief Civilian Director Ronald McDonald calls for an end to drunk tanks in a recent report on the arrest of a Williams Lake man in 2022. Thinking he might be intoxicated, Mounties put him in a cell, but he ended up suffering a life-threatening medical emergency. Officers were cleared of any offences, but McDonald says holding intoxicated persons in police cells ostensibly for their own protection, guarded by people who are not trained health professionals, is an outdated practice and proven not to provide adequate guarantees of their safety and health. That care can't be delivered in a, in a jail cell. Um, I think it's really important that people receive a health care response and that they be treated with compassion in those circumstances. One alternative McDonald points to is sobering centres like this new 10-bed facility in Prince George. We're not a medical unit, but we can provide that safe spot for people to come when they just need somewhere to get some rest, have a little something to eat, have a shower, and hopefully get connected to services they need. Similar services will be available in East Vancouver once this new detox and social housing facility is built, complete with a 51-bed withdrawal management centre. There are issues of, uh, of uh, people when they're detoxing who become violent, so security is necessary, but generally speaking, it's a medical issue, not a policing issue, which is why we're taking this approach in Vancouver and, and across the province we support that approach. Amid a toxic drug crisis killing thousands of British Columbians, harm reduction advocates say it's now more common that someone who appears drunk is going through something much deadlier. It needs to be some significant changes in that aspect uh, and you just don't drop people off 
uh, into a jail cell. You drop them off into a healthcare facility where they can be assessed. Travis Prasad, Global News. Coming up, fighting wildfires before they begin. It was a way of managing the forests, and there was a lot less uh, of this, uh, you know, these pop-up forest fires happening. The proposed changes aimed at reducing the risk in BC's forests. Plus, why the makers of Ozempic are facing a proposed class action lawsuit. Good evening. Traffic is in good shape both ways across the Patello Bridge right now, but keep in mind there is overnight road work until 3 a.m. affecting northbound traffic. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Buison in Global One above the Patello Bridge. Well, after a string of devastating wildfire seasons, the B.C. government is making major changes to its forest management practices. As Cassidy Moscone reports, many of the changes focus on working with First Nations to increase the use of prescribed burns to help mitigate wildfire risk. They're the centre of culture and community economic activity and industry. But how we manage our forests is out of date. That's according to the BC government, who just announced a raft of changes to modernise policy that's become, by their own admission, inadequate. What uh, has been the primary value has been timber values, and uh, that has not, I don't think, really enjoys full public support anymore giving biodiversity, environmental and First Nations voices a seat at the table. Well, we're always optimistic. We always come back thinking that maybe this time the government's got it right and they understand that apologies, uh, you know, after the fact, you know, do it now and apologize later is not going to continue to work. One of the changes making cultural and prescribed burning legal. First Nations have been doing it for centuries. It was a way of managing the forests and it was a lot less of this, uh, you know, these pop-up forest fires happening. It's also too late in some areas, you know. Um, next, it's not a matter of what's going to burn, it's when now. Other proposed changes include handing out tougher penalties for those who break forest rules and regulations, as well as giving decision-makers discretion when issuing both road and cutting permits. So that will enable them to take into account community objections, First Nations considerations uh, that they weren't previously able to do. The simple default position was not to make a decision and that was not uh, helping. The proposed changes are moving through the legislature now. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. A proposed class action lawsuit has been launched in B.C. against the maker of Ozempic. The suit claims Novo Nordisk has not properly warned Canadians about severe side effects, including stomach paralysis and gallbladder disease. The case claims damages from the drugs Ozempic and Ribelsis. They were approved by Health Canada to treat diabetes, but are also prescribed for weight loss. None of the claims in the proposed class action lawsuit has been proven in court. The season debut for one of the Canucks' most popular jerseys. Hitting the ice in Halloween colors tonight. But first... This is what besties do. We dress alike. <laughs> Halloween hijinks at the BC Legislature has Richard Zussman twinning. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs>
going to be a nice night tonight. I'm feeling excellent. We're going to have some little trick-or-treater kids coming in. No, it's a bunch of great kids. Are you going to have fun tonight? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I hope I don't freak them out too much. <laughs> Has Eagle figured out that you're his mommy? Well, there he goes again. I must have fallen down the rabbit hole. We are BC's News. Politicians and staff of the BC Legislature got into the Halloween spirit today. Happy Global News, Richard Zussman interviewing Richard Zussman on Global News. Government staffer Melissa Marr dressed up as our very own Richard Zussman today, roaming the halls of the legislature and grilling politicians and journalists who were in and out of costume. It's hard to tell them apart, isn't it? Premier David Eby and MLA Brittany Anderson made the rounds as Ken and Barbie, joining a handful of other lawmakers dressed up for the day as well. And we sent our Yvonne Shell out to a spooky haunted pirate ship in East Vancouver, but also uh, they're raising uh, money for a good cause, Yvonne. Yeah, and the crowds are starting to fill if you want to come on down. We're just in East Vancouver. But yes, you can donate to the Vancouver uh, Food Bank. Just go on their website. And if you put East Van Pirate Ship, you'll be able to donate. So far, they're just over $6,000, and their goal is up to 7000 So there's your chance to donate. Uh, great evening tonight, though. We've got dry condi conditions for the trick-or-treaters. Let's take a look at your forecast. It is cool and chilly for a few spots across the province this evening. We are below the freezing mark for a few areas, and we are going to see the risk or the potential for some frost overnight tonight. So 7 and up to 10 degrees. It's this evening. We are going to drop down, especially for some of our overnight lows. But I wanted to draw your attention. Tomorrow night and taking us in towards our Thursday, we do have rain on the way. We could see upwards of 30 millimeters. It'll be at heavy at times. And with it, a different weather story, though, for the interior with the potential to see the risk of freezing rain, a bit of a transition with that milder air above and cooler along the surfaces. And along the mountain passes, we're looking at anywhere between 10 and up to 15 centimeters Rogers Pass could see anywhere between 5 and up to 10. So transition changes on the way for tomorrow. Where we're going to see that system move in. We will see the rain and heavy at times, especially as we get in towards the evening hours. And then Thursday, it'll be very wet and windy. Temperatures will be up to 12 degrees and then in towards our Friday. A brief break between systems Saturday, Sunday, rain and heavy at times. All right, tonight's weather window, a great shot taken from Port Moody. This was the sunrise this morning and it was taken by Kathy. So. Thanks, Yvonne. Um, are you going to go trick-or-treating? I think I should after this. I'm in the right area. If I, if I, if I want, I think now's the time. So I'm going to have to find a costume around here. Don't, don't worry about the costume. Just go and say that you're going as a weather person. Oh, a meteorologist. Okay. Tell them you're dressed up as a meteorologist. Yeah. I think Good that would point. work. Good point. Very original. Yeah. Squire, your favorite Halloween candy was what? In my neighborhood in Burnaby, there used to be a nice lady who would make popcorn balls, but she'd only make so many, so you had to know to go to her house first. <laughs> Were they like caramel popcorn? Yes, caramel and, yeah, she no. made them herself. Oh, now I want that. And you just start eating them as you went along to the other houses. I feel like that's not a thing anymore, but... I don't think it is a thing anymore. We'll bring it back. Okay, what do you have for us? Uh, the Canucks are going to wear... I love these uniforms, but some people might say they're Halloween uniforms tonight against Nashville. We'll talk a bit about that. Well, it's appropriate then. Thank you, Squire. Also ahead tonight. I call this one Grave Consequences. Bringing urban legends to life. The filmmaking team giving ghost stories the big screen treatment.
Nashville's a fun city. Nashville? That's what I hear. I've heard that too. I've never been there. Lots of music. Music City, that's why they call it Music City. Especially if you like country music. Mm. I know. Okay. I'm the same. You lost me. No offense to country fans, but my ears just don't seem to match up a lot of times. The uh, Canucks are home to Nashville tonight. Second game against the Predators already this year. They won the first one on the road, 3-2. to two. That was in Nashville. One big stat in the Canucks' favor is Nashville has not been very good at killing penalties, and the Vancouver Canucks have one of the best power plays in the NHL. But will the Canucks have to kill penalties themselves? Tonight, Vancouver will... will, will Vancouver will wear, too many W words in a row, a 90s costume for Halloween, but one that they'll wear 14 more times this season at home. That's the black skate jerseys. And here's the thing. It's not scientifically proven, but circumstantial evidence says referees see teams who wear black uniforms differently. They supposedly get more penalties called against them. Jay was down at the rink this morning and gives us the full preview on all of this. Vancouver Canucks conclude their brief three-game homestand tonight as they host the 4-4 Nashville Predators. Friday night, of course, the Canucks shut out the St. Louis Blues 5-0. Saturday, they lost 4-3 in overtime to the New York Rangers. Tonight, PA announcer Al Murdoch is going to be channeling his inner Brian Johnson as the Canucks are back in black. Tonight marks the first time that they'll wear the black skate vintage jersey. I think they're great. I, I think that, you know, the colors and... Um, just a little curveball once in a while. It's, it's always nice. I mean, just the color changes. And I think the, the logo is great and, and the colors are awesome. So it will be, uh, be great for, especially for Halloween tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is cool luck. And I'm a, <clears throat> I love the black and orange when I played for the Flyers. That, that was a great jersey for me. And I, just, I think it's a great look. Um, and like I said, if you look bigger, I just hopefully it doesn't give us penalties, though. <laughs> we don't, I, just hope, I don't even know why you brought that up. Oh, jeez. Yeah. The Canucks are coupling along nicely to start the month of October. They're 5-2-1. They sit second in the Pacific Division. They've scored 31 goals this season, 18 coming where you expect. They're top six forwards. At least Pedersen is their leading point getter with 13 points in eight games. Brock Besser has six goals. That's tops among all snipers. The Blue Lines also contributed with seven goals. The one area where the Canucks would like to see a bit of improvement is their bottom six. The bottom six unit with only half a dozen goals thus far. They've done a nice job of going out there and, and changing the momentum. Um, you know, like I said, I've, you know, some guys are getting 10 minutes because of the special. They don't play like power play or penalty kill. Um, if there wasn't as many penalties and stuff, they'd probably be at 13, 14 or, or somewhere in there. But, you know, I got to get that fourth line out there more. I know it, you know, um, especially when it's a non-event game of, of penalties. Um, but I got to give them credit. That's hard to do. We've all done it as, an, as a player to sit there for long periods of time. Then the coach says, get out there um, and then spin, spin your wheels. It's tough. It was a quiet game day skate here at Rogers Arena. Just four players on the ice, both goaltenders, and Noah Juleson and Jack Stegnika, both of whom will be scratched. Thatcher Demko starts for the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Then they're on the road Thursday night in San Jose. With your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. San Jose has been a tragedy this year. Okay, since the CFL spends an entire season just to eliminate three teams in the playoffs, you always have these lopsided-looking matchups. For example, Saturday, the Lions against Calgary. The Lions have won 12 games, Calgary only six. That game's at BC Place. They're opening the upper bowl, so lots of seats available. However, one of those wins for Calgary was against BC less than two weeks ago, and it was rather stunning, 41-16. The Lions that night were not mailing it in. 
They played their regular guys, especially at the start, because they still had a remote chance of finishing first in the West had they won. But Vernon Adams believes that game will be a wake-up call for his team. Maybe it's good for the Lions to lose that way so they won't be overconfident on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I think we all look at it like that. We, we didn't want to lose in front of our crowd like that as the last home game, you know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, there's a couple factors in there, you know, but uh, we know we, we definitely can't start like that or play like that come, come playoff, come Saturday. So um, we're ready for Calgary to bring their best shot. Man, we're going to bring our best shot, and we're, we're going to do some good things this Saturday. Marta and Christine Sinclair, two of the greatest of all time, exchanging jerseys before the exhibition game tonight in Halifax, Canada and Brazil. And how about this? Jordan Heidema. BC player, following in the footsteps of Christine Sinclair, scoring the first goal from Ashley Lawrence. That made it 1-0 in the 69th minute. Then Heidema was subbed off for... Christine Sinclair, who came into a giant ovation, as she will in Victoria and Vancouver, coming up in December for her final two games internationally for Canada. Uh, Sabrina D'Angelo starts this with a long goal kick, which ends up being a breakaway for Deanne Rose, and she'll put this in, and Canada beats Brazil by the score of 2-0 in an exhibition game tonight. Right there. Okay, the Rangers and the D-backs, it's game four. Texas up 2-1 in the series, and man, oh man, did they get off to a great start. That's former Blue Jay Marcus Simeon with a three-run homer. That made it 10-0. And we're only in the fifth inning, and it's 10-1 for Texas over Arizona. If they win this, they go up 3-1 in the World Series. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, spooky tales transformed into frightening films. Stay with us. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan. Sophie, we're getting a look tonight at proposed redesigns for English Bay Beach. It includes a new sports court and amphitheater as well as a new plaza at Morton Park. That's where the amazing laughter artwork is now. There's also a suggestion to create two Habitat islands, islands, as they're calling them, near the foot of Chilco Street. We'll have more at 11. Plus, a man accused of going on a racist rant inside a Vancouver coffee shop was a no-show at his court appearance today. How the judge responded at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Now we have a special Halloween edition of This is BC for you. Tonight, the story of a pair of Indigenous filmmakers bringing some frightening legends to life on the big screen. Jay Durant reports. Spooky tales passed down through generations. A series that recaptures the wild imagination of those younger years. I remember being a little kid and just being glued to the TV watching like Tales from the Crypt in my grandma's, you know, living room. And then in that same evening, I can go sit with my grandparents or just kind of eavesdrop on the adults' conversations. That kind of urban legend and these stories about spirits and placing them in, in the genre of cabin in the woods or slasher horror. Trevor Solway and Colin Van Loon are showcasing popular age-old tales. Hosted by character Uncle Randolph. This reminds me of a story I once heard. An amalgamation of all of these uncles, grandpas, cousins that we have that, you know, are just kind of, they, you don't know if they're teasing you, if they're being serious or not. What? But they always tell a really good story. I call this one Grave Consequences. <laughs> 
Winner of the Audience Choice Award at this year's Calgary International Film Festival, these episodes are years in the making for this production team. I always dream of making shows like this on, on networks and it's really cool to, to have our dreams come true and still be, you know, friends and, and, and colleagues and collaborators. Thanks for stopping. The response has inspired more writing for future seasons with plans to travel to other Indigenous communities in Canada and around the world. Around this time, we're watching all these horror films and I was just craved to see myself represented in them or like see people who look like me or stories that I was hearing at the kitchen table. Dig here. No way. And so it's a real dream come true to have this happening right now. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great or spooky story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Are we going trick-or-treating now, Squire? Yes, let's go. Uh, Yvonne's already out there, so. Yeah. Come join me, guys. Come uh, join me in East Van. It's I, very I got, easy. I can get a little bag for us. Um, no, we want a big bag, like a no, full-size pillowcase. Pillowcase. Yeah, that's the only way to pillow go. Pillowcase. How's the crowd down there, Yvonne? And uh, great night for trick-or-treating. It, yeah, it's nice and dry out. The crowds are definitely growing. They may have anywhere between 800 to close to 1,000 children. Check them out on the Vancouver Food Bank website, East Van Pirate Ship. That's where you can make some donations. But yeah, great crowd tonight and dry across the lower main line, which is great out there. I mean, who doesn't love a haunted pirate ship, really? <laughs> I've never been to one, but there's one right there. All right, have a happy Halloween, everyone. Don't eat all your candy tonight. Make sure you save it and savor it for the next couple of days at least. That's a good tip. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Good night, all.